Uh, we are going to continue uh, the Kingdom of God series. We're going to continue on chapter 3, which is major, major biblical themes. We're going to continue for the fourth week out of hopefully just five on creationism. And today we're going to address the concept of how do we know. Before I get started, I actually want to do two things. One is I just want to say thank you. I was really impressed last week how many people we had at the 930 meeting in the middle of a you know, a fairly significant snowstorm for, for if you grow up in Dayton. Not quite uh, for those who grow up in Cleveland or Buffalo, New York, but uh, for uh, for Dayton area, that was a pretty good snowstorm, and we really had a very good turnout at both meetings last week, so that was kind of amazing. Um, today, again, we're going to talk about creationism, and we're really going to talk about a subject called epistemology, and it doesn't have to uh, be all that, like, oh, no, big words and all that. It really, epistemology is a branch of philosophy, and it's a branch of theology that basically asks the question, how do we know anything for sure? How do we know God is real? How do we know this or that? And before we get into this, uh, I'm going to uh, have Jason read us from, uh, if you look on your outline, it'll be from Roman numeral 3 some foundational scriptures on epistemology and presuppositional apologetics. And those words will be defined as we go. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Hebrews 11, verses 1, 3, and 6. Now faith is the assurance or substance of things hoped for, the conviction or evidence of things not seen. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. 2 Timothy 1 verse 12. For this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Luke 16.31 But he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded or convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Romans 3, verses 9 through 12. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Romans 1, 18 through 23, 28 through 31. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his internal power, his and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they know God, they did not honor him as God 
or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness. Luke eleven twenty three, He who is not with me is against me, and he does not who does not gather with me scatters. Thank you, Jason. Okay, so again, today is our fourth look at the subject of creationism, and I'm going uh, to look at the subtitle for a second. Uh, I'm going to define all these words, so don't be scared by any of them. An introduction to epistemology, which we've already defined as how do we know. Worldviews, paradigms, and presuppositional apologetics. Okay, so I'm going to define all those terms as we go today. And what we're really after today is the very first verse that Jason read is 1 Peter 3.15. Take a look at it as we go through it. But set apart, sanctified means to set apart to God. Set apart Christ as Lord. Like who is the Lord of this universe? For a Christian, you have settled in your spirit, in your heart, in your mind, that he is true, not you. And if you, as we go through uh, understanding the, the, the uh, debate between creationism and evolution, as we go through uh, looking at the religions of fallen man, all of them are based on the idea that I am God and I am the ultimate judge of reality and, and truth. Okay, so when we look at worldviews, we'll be looking at the idea that all men have a religion in their heart, and that religion is not necessarily come to them in a neutral fashion. It's not based on necessarily on, on sound logic and so forth. So an introduction to epistemology, worldviews, paradigms, and presuppositional apologetics. First Peter 3.15, set apart Christ as Lord in your heart, always being ready to make a defense. And that's really what I'm trying to do these couple weeks here, uh, is help you know how to give a reasoned explanation for why you're a Christian. If you're a Christian in uh, your classes, in your workplace, in your banking, in your uh, families, in many aspects of your life, you do things differently than the world around us. We are people of the Lord and people of the book. And lots of things in our life should be in quite contrast to the people who work in the stall next to you. And they should wonder, why is it that you have these, these issues of integrity and so forth? And you want to be able to give a reasoned explanation for why. So that's, uh, that's all we're, we're looking at here. Uh, make a defense, then the Greek word for defense is the, is the Greek word apologia, or apologia, and it really just means to make a justification or, or to give an account uh, to everyone. One of the things you want to be able to do as a Christian is be able to talk to any type of person at any education level, at any priority level, at any set of values, in any religion about the Christian faith. And it's not as hard as people think, uh, because really uh, every religion outside of Christ 
gets down to some form of worshiping the creator, creation instead of worshiping the creator. And they're ultimately either exalting the mind of man. In modern times, usually their own individual mind is God, uh, or they're submitting to the kingdom of God. And what you want to help them see uh, is that to be committed to your own lordship, your own godship, is the ultimate form of slavery. Modern, modern Americans, modern Western people in particular, uh, f- uh, feel that uh, t- to do, they have this illusion that they, that they want freedom above all else, and they think freedom is I do what I want, when I want, how I want, where I want, any way I want, with any attitudes or motivations, and nobody tells me what to do. But that, according to the Bible, is the ultimate slavery because you are infected with a problem called sin, and that sin is working in your life and forming your character, and over time, you will become a slave to various sinful issues, anger management problems, financial management problems, uh, addictions, fears, insecurities, emotions of, uh, that are tormenting, etc. And uh, Christ came to set you free for, your, for you to become one with the nature in which you were created by your creator. And all, only as you become restored to the image of God to become more like your creator, to be as he intended for you to be before sin entered in the picture, that is the only way to become free, and that is the, actually the only way to live a life that's worth living. Actually, any life outside of Christ is somewhat tragic because it's a waste. So uh, you actually, as a Christian, when, in, when you get, when you really understand your faith, you should have a burning passion for the person you're working with, uh, your next door neighbor, the kids at the school, whatever, to see them get set free by Christ, in the light of Christ, by the kingdom of God. You want to see God's kingdom come into their life, so that they can be liberated from what the Bible calls the kingdom or the domain of darkness, which is actually destroying them. And it's, in, it's not just destroying them in this mod, modern evangelical sense of ultimately you, you're going to go to heaven or hell, but you, they're, they're actually beginning to live the consequences of sin and death now. And they may be, have the ability to cope and have the illusion of happiness but they're actually, their lives are empty and with no purpose. There is no purpose for getting up in the morning if you don't love God. Men will make idols out of all sorts of purposes. Uh, you know, climbing the ladder of success, becoming more famous, becoming wealthy, whatever issue they want to get involved in, but none of it is eternally worth anything except the love of God. So we've actually, just to just review here in Roman numeral two, we've gone through some creation scriptures the first week, uh, why uh, creation is foundationally significant. I, I hope you understand, uh, Psalm 11, verse three says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And that's a rhetorical question. The obvious answer is nothing. If creationism isn't true, then the Bible isn't true. God isn't true. The Christian religion isn't true. And you have no purpose for being here today. 
you might as well have slept in and got liquored up last night or whatever. Um, so uh, there is no purpose to live outside of your creator. So hopefully we are starting to get that. Okay, so let's get in. Uh, I won't review what we've gone through the last couple of weeks. The CDs are available. The outlines are available. Let's jump down to Roman numeral four. And last week we talked about isms. An ism is just an integrated system of beliefs that are religious or political or philosophical, but ultimately they're all religious. As Karl Marx said in his Communist Manifesto, communism is a humanism. And humanism is a full-fledged religion. So uh, the Nazi party of, of Germany, the fascist of Mussolini in Italy, the communist, uh, uh, of which there are still some in the world today, all of these are full-fledged ideological beliefs. The American uh, political movements called the Democratic Party and the Republican Party have, are following lords and gods that are religions contrary to Christ. And they're ju not just neutral people. They're people that are blinded by what the Bible calls the elementary principles of this world. So let's get into uh, to this a little bit. The first thing I want to help you understand is presuppositionalism. Now, that's because uh, when you get into giving a defense for the hope that's in you, 1 Peter 3, that is uh, a branch of theology called apologetics. And every Christian should dabble in apologetics. For one thing, it will increase your faith. Uh, if you have never uh, done anything with apologetics, let me suggest even some of our foundational books like Tim Keller's The Reason for God, in which he uses some presuppositional apologetics and some evidential apologetics. And you're going to know what those two words mean in a minute. Uh, Josh McDowell's More Than a Carpenter is, is a very simple introductory. I had my sons read it in fourth grade. They did have to use dictionaries and, and struggle with it a little bit. But, uh, but they understood it very well in its because uh, it was written for high school students. Um, and it, it's not you don't even need to be a college educated to, to read that book. I, uh, John Bradbury loved that book, if, if you remember. Um, and uh, it basically is based on a concept called evidential apologetics, giving evidences for the Christian faith. However, you need to be aware, as we talk about presuppositionalism, that Jesus said in the Gospel of Luke, he said, if they do not believe Moses and the prophets, Neither will they believe if someone rises from the dead. Uh, actually, as we, as we get into today, different types of evidence, and we get into what's called historical or legal proof, which uh, Chris Wu is probably a better expert than I am, at least on legal proof. Um, as we get into those, you will, one of the things that uh, you'll see is that um, the resurrection of Christ is actually one of the most verified uh, events in the history of the world. If you don't believe in the resurrection of Christ, you really don't have any basis to believe there was a George Washington or Abraham Lincoln either because you're, you're rejecting sound historical legal proof. And if that's not a basis uh, for proof, if you only accept scientific proof, 
then you're actually following a blind religion of modern times called scientism. And uh, because there is historical proof and there is legal proof. And it's a different kind of proof than scientific proof. And you need to be aware that our, our, our culture worships at the altar of if it's not scientific, by which they've actually degenerated to meaning if a majority of scientists aren't saying it, which is not really true science, um, then it's not true. Well, that's not true. <laughs> so um, let, let's. Uh, what Jesus is basically saying is, if they have certain presuppositions about God in the in the in His character and the reliability, therefore, of His speaking, we all know people who we would trust what they say just because they said it, right? And we also know people, if they said something, we'd be like, ooh, you know, like Ronald Reagan with Gorbachev, let's trust but verify. <laughs> we might not trust them 100%. And, of course, those kind of trust are built over time, and they're easy to destroy. They're harder to build. But a Christian is someone who, with Paul, says, I know him whom I have believed, and I am confident. I'm convinced of, of these things. The, uh, we're accepting as evidence that the fact that God has introduced himself to us. It's not a abstract thing. We've experienced his presence. We've experienced his power. We've experienced the power of his spirit and the power of his word. And it's not just some philosophical abstraction. It's a relationship. And we know that we know that we know because we know he is true and all men are liars, including ourselves. And we actually, a Christian, is get to the point where you trust in him before you trust in you. That's why it's so darn dangerous and sinful to be a control freak. Because control freaks are ultimately still worshiping at the altar of self. And God wants to set every control freak free to trust him. That's where your freedom lies. So let's get into it. So presuppositional apologetics or theology is, is this idea. Let, let me read the definition first, and we'll talk about it. Now, because I'm, I'm kind of using words that you don't know yet, and so, but we'll get to them as we go. An epistemological concept, and again, epistemology is just the subject, how do we know anything for sure? So it's a concept of how we can know things. That's what presuppositionalism that maintains that all the isms, all the belief systems or systems of belief, are based on axioms, that is, presupposed ideas, which there's no truth or, or no uh, verification for. They're based on axioms or postulates, which, ex which assume facts not in evidence. If you watch Perry Mason or any of the good law shows, you'll see every now and again they, someone will object. Objection, this is assuming facts not in evidence. You're, you're making a case based on something you haven't uh, ev introduced any evidence for. Okay, so... Um, uh, so, uh, again, an epistemological concept that maintains that systems of beliefs are based on axioms or postulates, which assume facts not in evidence, and which are beyond reasonable or scientific proof. Presuppositionalists assert that fallen man is willfully or culpably, that means we're morally to blame, on axiomatic levels, on, in other words, on the, the, what we believe about, about the nature of reality, uh, before God, and we and that fallen men distort their entire perception of reality. In other words, we're basically saying that they're building their world on a leap of doubt. 
okay? All fallen men, uh, uh, when, when the Bible says that they're blind, today's modern Bible-believing Christian, because of our kind of anti-intellectualism and we don't want to deal with stuff like this, assumes that it's just some vague, like, blind. okay, everyone's blind. We don't really know what that means. What it means is they're actually seeing the world around them, the same world you're seeing, but they're completely misperceiving it because they have things in their heart that they're jumping to conclusions about that just aren't provable and are not true. And we'll lay this out better and better as we go today. Okay, so um, what you want to do is not use this knowledge to belittle anyone or to criticize anyone or so forth, but to help them see. You know, uh, Terry, I hope, won't mind that he and I met for like three hours every Monday night for like nine months to talk about these things. And by the grace of God, through the scripture, he at the same time, he started in Matthew and read through the whole New Testament. Then he started a second time through. And the second time, he also started in Genesis. And so he was reading the Bible. He read about eight or 10 books that I asked him to read during that time. And we are meeting every week and discussing these things. And in it, he came from knowing in an abstract way that Christianity was basically true to actually knowing and experiencing the person and power of God. And in fact, I was just sharing with somebody yesterday when Terry got baptized in the Spirit, uh, he, I asked every person, there was like four people got baptized in the Spirit that night, and I asked him to, each of them to testify, and what he said was, uh, made me cry. He said, uh, this is the first time in my life that I've really, truly been at peace. And actually, that's true of everyone who comes to Christ. There is peace, peace, there is no peace. There is no peace outside of Christ. There can be a kind of coping and a kind of abscess, absence of emotional conflict on a certain level, but what the Bible calls the peace that passes understanding is only available by a flow of the power of God's Holy Spirit in your life. And you were meant for that, as John taught so eloquently and uh, 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 teaching so good. I had to listen to it twice this week. Last week he taught about uh, the te- temple of God and so forth and, and how part individually and corporately we are the temple of God. And you were made to be the temple of God. And you will never be at harmony with the universe and the planets won't align <laughs> no, just, and all that kind of stuff until you're flowing in the power of God's spirit. And many, many a Christian is still very, very thirsty to experience the power of God's Spirit. And when you do, you will start, go into a whole different stage of being in harmony for what you're on this planet for. And all kinds of things will change in your life, as a number of people sitting in these pews can testify. So again, the, the presuppositional apologetics I probably should give some names for that. Cornelius Van Til, Rusas Rush Dooney. Uh, Tim, Tim Keller uses some presuppositional apologetics in his writings. Um, is the idea that people build a relatively logical worldview in their mind, and that worldview is a religion, and everyone has one. If you ask people the right questions, you will find what their fundamental beliefs are about all of reality and what they're basing their life on. And you can help them step out of basing their life on the wrong things 
and base their life on the way, the truth, and the life, our Lord Jesus Christ. That's really what a Christian is, is on a mission to do. And that when they build that reality in presuppositionalism, the, the basic idea is that when they build that reality, they're building it on logic, and it's relatively reasonable. But logic is based on assumptions. Logic goes like this. If A is true, then B is true. And if B is true, then C is true. And so if you build a logical argument, even if the construction of the logical argument doesn't have what's called fallacies, and fallacies are false logical arguments, if the presuppositions are incorrect, then even if the structure of the argument is true, if I say 2 plus 2 is 5, and 5 plus 5 is 10, 5 plus 5 is 10, and that the logical argument is well constructed. The problem is that 2 plus 2 isn't 5. <laughs> and no matter how much I want it to be so, it won't be. And so what the Bible is saying, what presuppositional apologetics is saying, which just comes from the Bible, is saying that every person is born uh, with a sin nature derived from Adam and Eve, it's passed down by heredity. In today's, if you study sociology or psychology today, one of the great arguments is it heredity or environment. The Bible sides on that heredity is the biggest issue. It has a lot of issues I want to avoid. Uh, but talk more to me about that later, um, if you want. So you inherited this a thing called sin, and sin causes you to want to run from God, as, as Jason read in Romans 3, which is, by the way, Romans 3, 10, 11, 12, which he read is a quote from Psalm 14 and Psalm 53, which says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God, and da 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 da, da. So when you, uh, what you, what presuppositional apologetics is saying is that every man has ideas in their heart, and those ideas are not neutral. Those ideas are actually running from God. Now, you can't see the truth of that till God draws you into his kingdom and opens your eyes. But I, I was an atheist. I was an agnostic. I flipped back and forth between an agnostic and an atheist for, for six or seven, eight years. Um, I was not wanting Christianity be to, to be true, but I thought I was neutral. I thought I was just, well, I don't know. But after I came to Christ, I was able to look back with the help of Scripture and see the truth is the motivations in my heart was I was hoping this Christianity thing wasn't as serious as these guys. In fact, the first time I got around some really serious Christians, I got out of there quick. <laughs> in fact, I remember in high school, this uh, guy moved to our high school uh, our, our senior year, and, and, and there were no Christians in my high school. And by the end of the year, this guy was so profound at sharing the faith. There were like 30 Christians, and they had a Bible study before school and after school and a prayer meeting. And all these people were becoming Christians. And I made the mistake of sitting near him in study hall one time. He started sharing with me about Jesus. And I concluded, I'm never going to sit near that guy again. I, that I could possibly become a Christian if I, I'm not going to get it near that. Well, believe me, we are not neutral. There's none who seeks for God. There's none who does good. We want it to come out the opposite way unless the grace of God is drawing us to want the truth. People aren't seekers for truth. They're actually runners from truth. 
So when people stand up in church and go, I've been seeking for the truth all my life, and I've, I finally found Jesus, you, you can just say, <clears throat> just want to testify, liar. <laughs> Love you, but you're lying. <laughs> You've been running from the truth all your life, and it's not been working very well, and God's been, in his loving grace, has been causing you to, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, he's been causing you to become poor in spirit. It's not working. And he finally backed you in the corner and got his foot on your neck and says, I love you. I'm going to forgive you if you want. I'll have a relationship with you. But what you're doing is not working very well for you. Like God's like a giant Dr. Phil. <laughs> no, <for> Dr. <laughs> how's that working for you? <laughs> and all what the, what the reality of no one can come to the Father and, and, and to, I mean, to Jesus, lest the Father draws him. How, part of how God draws you is he opens your eyes to see your spiritual bankruptcy. I ask people to if God could just show me a miracle, the miracle he's showing you is you're starting to see that your coping's not working that well anymore. And that's the first, that's the beginning of wisdom. The fear of God is simply to believe that if you live apart from God, it ain't going to work. It's going to be a lot of pain, emotional pain, spiritual pain, financial pain. You're going to make a lot of money, but it'll never add up to anything. You won't have inner peace. You won't be able to sleep. You won't, uh, you know, all kind of things are going to go wrong if you don't know God. And God loves you enough to help you see the reality of that. And that seeing that is a miracle because all blind men run from seeing that. You look at anyone, even when they go to church every week and so forth, if you're not radically on fire for God, your life is not working. And the sooner you see that, the better off you'll be. That is love. People are like, why are you always confronting me and getting me in my face and stuff? Because I love you. And all love makes people see hard things. Truth, that's why I have 150 some lights in my house, most of which are on dimmer switches. And we're about to put new lights in the ceilings and everything, and all of them will be on dimmer switches. Because in the natural, I like the light to come up gradually. <laughs> I got little night lights all over my house, and uh, I have more night lights than you'd want to, like there's a night light in every bathroom, hallway, everything, because I like just a little bit of light to see at night, and I don't want to be turning on any lights when I go different places, because light hurts. When you Now, I you eventually want to work up to enough light. You know, when I read, I have lots of light on the page. It's good for your eyes, but... Uh, <laughs> You know, I, I, lots of light is when you really want to see. <laughs> and so all, all men are seeking blindness. And so their science is not neutral. Their logic is not neutral. They are assuming things that aren't necessarily true. Now, that gets into the idea, jumping down to number five and six on the back, axioms and postulates. Those are ideas that people assume about the nature of reality, and generally all cultures have basic myths or basic ideas. And the idea that matter is eternal, that God doesn't exist, that all things evolved, is the basic postulates or assumptions of our day and age. I was brainwashed. I remember reading about cave men on the back of my Wheaties box when I was a little kid. <laughs> you, know, you, were, you didn't grow up in some neutral environment, and you weren't neutral in your heart. Now, uh, worldviews. 
a worldview, and not, you know, I don't know how many weeks this is going to take, but uh, I wish I could just have like a three-hour seminar on this. Uh, you know, by the way, I teach this stuff at, at, at Sinclair Community College, and if you've basically got to about 10th, 11th grade and stuff, you can, you can learn this. Uh, if you can read pretty well and so forth. Um, a worldview is a comprehensive, that is full concept or image of the universe and of mankind's or humanity's relation to it. I'm reading off the introduction to vocabulary number one. It's an extensive view of the world and human life consisting of axiomatic presuppositions, which we've been talking about, concerning three issues. All Everyone has a worldview, and they have an answer to these three questions in their mind. Who or what is ultimately real? Everyone has assumptions about that. Now, the reason you have to say who or what, because in Christianity and in polytheism, uh, as we'll look at the, the worldview outline that I have, and this may take a few weeks, maybe I'll have a Saturday seminar, see, see who's interested in this. That might, that might actually be better. But um, I've never attempted to teach this kind of stuff at church before. Um, church, we're not supposed to learn anything too theological. Um, so, so, um, who or what is ultimately real to a Christian? It's a who that's ultimately real to an atheist. It's a what that's ultimately real. They believe that matter eternally existed. If you're a polytheist, it, you believe that there's many who's that are ultimately real. Dr. Seuss is Cindy Lou who and whatever, who, who, who there's lots of who's, uh, if you're if you're what's uh, called a pantheist, then you actually believe that in a what that's ultimately real. So not everyone even stu- you know when when people say uh, there are many paths to God and many paths to truth, don't say this to them because you really you're not you catch more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. But that's really stupid. It's unfortunately the main idea of our culture. So lots of intelligent people believe that even though they're not stupid, but that idea is stupid, and they're basing their life on a stupid idea, that there are many paths to God and many paths to truth. That's like saying there are many paths to get there when I don't know if I'm going to Michigan or Florida or, or to Sumatra. Well, first of all, you got to, you know, if so if, if a Buddhist, a Buddhist doesn't believe in a personal reality, they believe in an, a non-personal cosmic energy force. So they're not even going on the same trip. So how can there be many ways to get there? It's just ab- logically absurd. So uh, the second concept that all worldviews have is what is the nature of man? And I wish I had more time. I'm not going to be able to get into this. But na- the nature of man breaks down to three ideas about the nature of man. One, probably the most important of which, well, they're all important. You, you know, the first one is, is man morally predisposed? What our culture teaches, I, when I was teaching the, this worldview class at, at Sinclair, uh, called us the Search for Utopia, um, I would take a survey and I would say, uh, is man basically good? Is man basically ethically neutral? Or is man basically predisposed toward evil? I never, in four years of teaching one or two classes a uh, quarter, four times a year, so about six classes a quarter with about an average of 20, 30 people, I never once had a single person say man is predisposed toward doing evil. Never once, which is the basic reality of the Bible. 
that you have something inside you that is constantly twisting your good intentions. You have a sense of justice and goodness because you're made in the image of God. The second issue is, is man valuable? Yes, every man is valuable. They're worth laying down your whole life for. That's what the people at the crisis pregnancy center are doing, is they're trying to save valuable lives that are made in the image of God. That's why uh, evolutionists and creationists always have a different view of abortion. Because to, a, to an evolutionist, you're no more important than a salamander. Uh, to a creationist, you're made in the image of God. You're worth everything. People, you know, sometimes people are a little surprised at me that I'll like spend five or six hours in a Bible study with someone. And I'm like, what? You were made in the image of God. That's why God put me on the planet is to spend five or six hours in a Bible study with you. Hopefully you're doing the same and paying it forward to lots of other people. So the nature of man. Uh, and finally, there, that what you believe about who or what is ultimately real and the nature of man will spin into what you believe about every social science or humanities there is, law, economics, politics, so forth. So, you know, uh, the truth of the matter is I had long since... Uh, back in the 1980s, I was, you know, young Christian and hadn't grown in my thinking and theology probably as much. And I was still hoping that if we re elected the right people, that could do some good. Believe me, it's way bit bigger issue than that. If we don't restore the church, our society is going to continue to slide down the cliff that it's been sliding down for 400 years. The last great thorough move of God that really influenced American culture was called the Great Awakening. And it was it led to an event called the War for Independence, <laughs> uh, which the humanists mistakenly call uh, the Revolutionary War. There hasn't been, so if you read the book of Judges, Israel slid away from God over a 400 year period. America has done the same. And we're not going to change the picture by electing a couple right politicians. We need a complete worldview change and a complete different approach to Christianity and nothing less will save our culture or the people that, that are being destroyed by the direction of our culture. So that's what a worldview is. Now, if you look on your chart, we'll probably just retitle this one today, worldviews. If you look on the chart called worldviews, which is opposite the chart called epistemology, uh-oh, looks like mine got printed epistemology on both sides. Does anyone, does everyone have that? Does everyone got misprint? Everyone has epistemology on both sides? Well, see Catherine about that. <laughs> uh, does anyone have the one from last week called uh, on worldviews? No one has the one from last week on worldviews. Um, bring these back week to week. We could print less of them. I just print enough every week because I know that no one's going to bring them back. <laughs> uh, <laughs> me. So, wow. So everyone has epistemology on both sides? Okay. So I'll take one and give out as many as you can to the other people. So listen to me. The worldview chart is divided into three columns. And you got one last week, and uh, we'll make... 
more available to you by the end of church today. Uh, and I'm out of time, so I really can't go another direction with the last three minutes I have. I want you to see that the worldview chart has three columns with a kind of double line in between them. If I had color, I probably should have grayed that in or something. The first one is who or what is ultimately real. The second one is the nature of man, the second column. And the third column is man in society, which has to do with politics, law, economics, the nature of money. You know that, that the money in America isn't actually real money? <laughs> uh, the, the money in America is what biblically would be viewed as, as dishonest money. Your, the, the dollar bills in your pocket are based on nothing but your faith in the U.S. government. <laughs> wow. So, but that comes out of a worldview, and that comes out of the fact that our culture's religion is secular humanism. We, if you still think we're a Christian nation, we may have some vestiges of Christianity left in our culture, but very few, actually, much fewer than you think. So in worldviews, there are four basic types of worldviews. One is called polytheism, one is called pantheism, one is called theism, and one is called materialism. The two most common ones in Western culture are the last two, theism and naturalism. If you go back and study the ancient cultures of the world, the ones that developed into Western society, they were mostly polytheists who over time became naturalist. Okay, so if you want to study polytheism, you could go back and study the Greek. I actually had a student who was a follower of the North, Norse mythology. And he went to conferences and to church and everything else to worship Thor and other Norse gods. And uh, uh, that was his religion. That was his belief. So pantheism is the idea that everything is God, and therefore nothing is God. But there's just this um, Star Wars is based on pantheonism. The force, you know, it's in you and around you and and, 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 and so forth. So it's a non-personal energy force. Theism is based on the idea that there's one God who is the creator, and therefore he's the lawgiver, judge, truth giver, and so forth. And next to each of these, I listed some common religions that come out of them. Naturalism or materialism gives birth to evolution, which gives birth to various views. Most materialists if you think it through, this is the only life there is. In a materialistic worldview, when you die, you're worm food. And therefore, uh, the only hope they have is um, to change the world through politics, not through changing the world, through changing hearts and changing lives. Our, our, there's lots of people who are concerned about uh, at-risk youth, and the fact that our entire inner city public schools have become 100% at-risk youth. Lots of people are concerned about that, but they have a different solution to that. And they don't just need more money. They, they need much more. So um, that gets down to a difference in, in both Every one of these isms, these four main worldviews, has a different idea about the nature of man, and I'll just cover that real quickly. Th there's three things that are important. One is man ethically predisposed. Are we basically good, neutral, or evil? We'll get into this more next time. Secondly, is man valuable? 
when evolution first started becoming accepted because societies only shift in their ideas slowly, most evolutionists said man is the, is the chief among the evolved species. Today, most evolutionists believe we're just another species and saving the other species is just, there's no more justification to save a baby than there is to save uh, a lizard or a gay whale. Um, there really isn't any particular value to human beings. Now that's important because Hitler's Germany and the extermination of millions of people in Stalin's Russia and Mao's China was based on a view of, of the nature of man that people aren't important. And if we have to kill millions of people, that's okay. These ideas have consequences. Hitler's ideas were very religious. And he believed that, that the, the German people were the master people. And what we need to do is, is work toward the elimination of the, of the lower races. And finally, are we mostly influenced by heredity or nature, the Bible, or by environment? The Bible's view is both, but heredity is much stronger than environment. So next week, we'll continue this, maybe. I'm, I'm going to think through whether I want to, to, to uh, delay the Kingdom of God series. To teach all this stuff takes about three hours, and I may just do, uh, offer a Saturday seminar and, and see who wants to hear this stuff.